Welcome to Rugby Uncovered. I'm Paul Rodriguez and this week we speak to Adam Wookie. He's a national panel referee at the RFU. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Adam, Paul has just told us that you're a national panel referee for the RFU. Can you tell us what that is? Uh, so basically, I got put onto the national panel about three seasons ago now. So that the national panel looks after national two to national one in the men's competitions. And in the women's, we look after the women's premiership. So the, the new Allianz Premier 15s, Tyrrells, when it was the last three years. Uh, so we cover that in terms of I'm a referee on there, but also you have the ARs. So we've got a lot of assistant referees who are also on the national panel as well. Um, that we have to, as a referee, cover both the roles of AR and uh, refereeing and then occasionally go up to the championship to go and uh, fourth official or potentially AR if we're needed. So you select the referees. Is that the role that you have? No, I, I'm actually a referee myself. So I, hmm. I'm just on, on in terms of the referee, so I'll get selected by uh, people at Twickenham for which games they want to appoint me to. Um, and then we just go off and <laughs> go and referee them. Whatever we're, whatever we're told to do on a Saturday, we, we just drive all up, up and down the country, depending on where the game is, and we'll just go off and referee. Sure. Uh, okay. The, the panel is a group of referees who are selected to, to referee games. Yeah. So, we, yeah, selection of referees is, I think, it's about 20 to 30, 20 referees, and then there's a wider group of ARs, so probably double that for ARs. Mm-hmm. And when did you decide you wanted to be a referee? So I was about seven, 16, 17. Um, 16, I was with Salisbury uh, RFC back in Wiltshire. And I sort of decided as I was playing that I wanted to know a little bit more about the laws. So I got in touch with uh, Dawson Wilts Referee Society and they got me a course. So Salisbury were very good and they paid for all my course, everything. Um, they've always been really good to me in, in that respect. They've paid for all my refereeing and rugby courses um, as long as we give something back to the club. So went off and I did my course. And then a week later, um, they turned around and said, well, you've done your course now. We've got an under-15s game with a touring side. Can you come along and referee referee that for us? So that was my first game was um, was actually Salisbury versus Lanishan rugby club from Wales so it was a really good game little touring game and that was my first bite um, unfortunately though the season ended that week so I had to sort of wait until the September to get back into it again still you're not you're not going to forget that game in a hurry are you after that no no and I say that's the I think it's beauty of like you, you remember certain games in your career um, and that will always be one that will stick with me um like I said, I, then next season, what I did was I, I continued playing for for a season after I started refereeing. Right. So I actually went, um, I got a new, I got an apprenticeship, and at the same time, so I decided that I'd referee, I'd, I'd, I'd referee on the on the Saturday because Colts rugby was playing on the Sunday. So I re- used to referee on the Saturday. We'd go out and first half of the season, pretty much just schools rugby. Um, at Bishop Wordsworth School and Dauncey's and stuff like and Sherbourne School um, and then it got to Christmas time and I think somebody said oh I think we should give this guy a go he's, he's 17 now we, we can give him a go in the adult game so after Christmas I think got my first adult game which was Devizes Thirds versus Khan Seconds um, which if you know the local geography I think there's only a hill between the two seams so it was a little bit of a local rivalry um, 
but actually both teams looked after me really well. I think they appreciate the fact that it was a youngster out there and a few of them tried the, the, the wily fellas tried to put their eye on, you know, oh, well, it's a penalty for us, sir. But a few of them were really good. And I think afterwards, I remember somebody just coming off the game and going, you'll go far as a ref. And then that, that was it, kind of, you know, you remember those kind of situations where somebody just goes, you're young, but you're going to go far. We're not going to, I think their words were, they weren't going to, we're not going to see you for long at this level. Brilliant. Fantastic. I, I've got to be careful what I say here because of your employers at Yogleton, but but you're also a helicopter engineer. I have no idea what a helicopter engineer does, but is the long-term dream to be able to focus on rugby or want to keep... Uh, yes, yeah, so I work... I work for Leonardo Helicopters in Yeovil as a manufacturing engineer for main rotor blades and tail rotor blades. So we do all the all the carbon fiber and glass fiber stuff there. But I think that yeah, the long term get if I if I was able to and finances and the RFU and everything were able to do it and got to that level, I'd love to become a full time referee. I think nobody outside of you know if you're in this bubble anyway of of refereeing rugby, I think everybody wishes that they could just dedicate their whole life to to the sport they love. Um, you know, you look at the guys at the top now that are there, you know, the 11 of them that are there as full-timers. And it's, you know, if you're able to train and do the analysis and stuff like that, that they've got on their time, they've got to do that. It'd be absolutely brilliant. I think if we all had that opportunity that actually the game as a whole would be so much better because we just have that extra time to prep for games. Um, juggling a work-life balance is always... Um, always hard, especially when you're fully full-time employed. Sure. You touched on it just now. I, I saw a feature with the two lads who refereed the game. Um, it was a, a Dorset-Wilts Cup final. That They were uh, 13 and 17 or something. And in the olden days, referees were ex-players and were in their 50s. But these lads, they must have made a decision very early on that that's, that's what they would love to do. I think it, I think referees are getting younger. I think it was quite somebody said to me the other day that they became a referee at thirty, and they were told that 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 they were too young to take up refereeing. And this was, you know, he said, you know, people in those days used to be, you know, you take up refereeing at fifty. I think nowadays people are looking at refereeing as a pathway mm. um, for rugby. Uh, I think people are identifying earlier that they're maybe as a player they're not as great, but actually they're very good at managing the game and therefore they'd like to go down the referee route i'd always say if you're able to like i did for, for the first couple of years do both um you know i think there's nothing nothing better than having the actual on field tackling somebody passing stuff like that to get your head in the game i i think you know i played rugby myself since the age of four before i took up so i took I had 14 odd years experience of playing before i took up refereeing so for me, it was uh, refereeing full-time almost um, without playing. So for me, I think it's really important that as a referee, you've got that sort of feel for the game and you know what's going to happen. And the only way you can really get that is being involved in the game. So I think these guys, which are taken up really young, is really good for the game and really good for us. I just also say to them, just look, if you want to play still, you can. Rugby Uncovered has been focusing on the women's game for, for over a year now. Um, how important is it now that we see girls and women coming into the game in your kind of role? 
I think it's really important. I think, you know, this week the RFU just sent out another referee webinar uh, thing for just for the women. So it's mm-hmm. a female only event. Um, I think it's really important that we, we, we have a broad horizon of, of people involved in the game. Um, you know, the women's game is increasing. This week we also had from World Rugby that, you know, they're going from 12 teams at the Women's World Cup to, to 16 teams, mm. which effectively, you know, that's an extra pool. That's another four referees they're at least going to need it in the next World Cup, you know. So if you think about the backlog of that and then, you know, at the moment, the panel, we look after the Allianz 15s. And on there, we've got Sarah Cox, uh, who you interviewed, and also Nikki O'Donnell as our two main referees. But actually, that in terms of the rest of it, there's another 10 of us which are referees on it, on that group. And we're all, all guys. And you, you notice it sometimes with the, with the women, that how they, how they react with you is sometimes different, I think, you know, to how they react with Sarah and Nikki. Um, but at the same time, I think they also like the balance of having everybody. But I think it would be good for the game to have more people just stepping into their roles. And hopefully with the two women that are showing sort of off up there, that actually this can be done. And therefore, you know, follow you can follow that pathway. But let's be aware that they, they, there is a pathway there for the women. There's a pathway there for the men. And there's a pathway there for the youth. I think that's really good from the RFU that they have done is that we have these three and we have these three pathways which are being guided and sculpted sculpted um and they've got a lot of cross between them all um you know i myself i run the development squad over in somerset now um you know we're looking for more females to get involved in the game in somerset we've got some very good women's teams over in somerset which you know i'm trying to encourage some of them to come and come and referee you know see the other side of it um problem we've always had with the women's game is that they play a lot of their fixtures on Sundays mm. so, uh, so you know the when you start refereeing you tend to referee those junior games now I think in some ways that's really bad you know it doesn't work well for 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 both in other ways I think actually as a woman if you want to get involved in refereeing it gives you the opportunity to go straight into those adult games and uh, if you wanted to continue to play, then at least you could referee like I did on a Saturday and then go and play again on a Sunday. It gives you that opportunity as well. Mm. So I think that's that's something we, which women are probably not, women's players aren't probably aware of is the ability to boot, do both. And I appreciate there's a lot of people who will be out there who go, well, I've got a family, I've got to look after them one day a week. Um, but there's a few youngsters coming through, females that are going, oh, actually, I I could do both and I could spend both days out and I'm with my friends one day and, you know, go out and referee. I think as the referee community grows, I think you realize once you get into that community, there is a big community. And a lot of people think that refereeing is quite an individualistic thing and you go off to, you know, Yeovil or Minehead and it's just me as the referee. Actually, once you start to realize there's a big support group around you, um, the the car journeys aren't as long because I, I, for myself personally, I you know I could be driving to Leicester, but on the way home and on the way up there, I'll ring people like Nicky O'Donnell and I'll ring Sarah Cox and I'll ring Tony Spreadbury. And by the time you actually get there, you realise you haven't listened to any podcasts or anything in the car because you've actually spent the whole time on the phone to somebody. But mm. actually, it's it's. Is there is a community there are people that will listen before and after the game to you know you might think oh, I've made a wrong decision there you explain it to them in the car and they go no you made the right decision 
or they'll go, yeah. oh, actually, did you consider this? I think that's the thing which I think we need to get across to people and especially new people coming into the, into refereeing is there is this community around you that you're not just out there on your own. You're, there is a massive support network around you. Mm, and I think if we get that across to, the, to new people coming in, women and youth, then actually I think we'll get more people into refereeing. Now, take it back a stage. Any girl or woman who might be curious or interested in what you have just touched on, what should they do? What's your advice? So my advice is um, if you're able to, get, if you're on Twitter, just search for RFU referees. That'll bring up um, whole loads of stuff on Twitter, which has got loads of information about refereeing courses, everything like that. Wherever you are in the UK, you uh, in England, you will have a referee society. Um, so if you, for instance, Dorset and Wilts, you know, Dorset and Wilts Referee Society, there's loads of information on their website. Somerset, we've got loads of information on our website of contacts and people like that. Um, there are also match official development officers throughout. So same as you have with RDA, with regional development officers and rugby development officers, there is also the same thing for referees. So we still have those guys even after the cuts for, with the RFU. Um, so get hold of them or, you know, go onto the RFU website and just type in refereeing and there will be a course available in your area. It, as soon as the COVID, I think they, they're actually hoping to start courses up back up again in January. Um, uh -huh. Just go out and search for it and there will be people there. And people in your local club as well. There tends to be a lot of people in your, your own club that do actually have done a referees course. Um, because they're a coach and they want to refer they might have to referee or because they they decided oh i, I finished playing i'm actually going to referee and you'll notice that people will always point you in the right direction if you're in the, in a club people tend to point you in the right direction as well paul and i can confirm everything you've just said the, the, the friendliness and the support and um the professionalism even though it's not professional but they're an amazing group of people that the refs in, in the same way as the players are um, insanely busy, but delighted at what they do with what they do. Yeah, so we're always delighted with what we do, and I think we are. I think people do think we're insanely busy. I mean, I've got to say that we'll be reviewing and prepping for next week now. Um, but I think if you pick up the phone and give somebody a call, they'll always they'll always take your call. I think that's the great right. thing about the referee and the rugby community as a whole. The, the tweaking of the laws for all the reasons which we're familiar with this season. Um, the, a lot of players have said that it makes the game more entertaining to watch. Do, do you think that these law amendments can become permanent? So it was quite interesting. We had this discussion, actually, uh, I was on the line this week at, down at Exeter versus Wasps. And we had this discussion with both Giselle and with Susie. Apple, Susie. Um, interestingly for them, they both were keener to have more scrums um, than less scrums that they've currently got. And also they want to increase in the Allianz back up to, to 80 minutes, not have the 70 that we currently got. Um, I think around, around the, the variations we've currently got, I think there are some interesting ones in there. Um, as a referee, I think sometimes we, we get a little bit, oh, you know, we're given a hell of a lot of free kicks in this game and actually you forget that actually none of them are free kicks. They're all just knock-ons or forward passes. Um, what we have noticed is there's a, with the variations, actually we're having a lot more line-outs um, 
which is a knock-on effect, you know, of the fact that actually teams want to have a set piece, but the only set piece they can have is a line-out. So they are kicking more for the 22, which I think is actually quite good for the women's game because an area which I think all, we, all the teams agreed was an area to work on for them uh, was kicking. Um, so actually they've had to work on the fact that if they get a penalty on the 10 meter line, the kicker's got to get it into the 22 because otherwise they can't have them all. Mm. Um, which I think is quite an interesting, that has been a really interesting phase because we've got a hell of a, like between the two 22s, a lot more off the top ball and a lot more play. Um, I think as referees, we, we've had our own challenges in that with offside lines. Now we've got to really monitor 10 metres back on, on, on the lineouts because if we allow them to infringe, then actually the off-top ball, um, they're getting shut down really quickly. And little things like the nines are now realising that actually I can just turn around, I can go really quickly off the back of the lineout and attack the 10. Um, but really, we haven't changed. We've, I think the good thing with the women is we've tweaked little things but they didn't. They haven't massively changed. I think, you know, come out this week about you know what's going to happen for the men's and the tier two women's um, when when it when they come back in January, and the fact the fact that there is going to be zero ta- uh, scrums and zero malls uh, has been has been advised, um, and I think people are very worried about what happens to the front five uh, for the women's mm-hmm. and the men's game. Um, but what I found in the women's game is actually we still get in the 22, there is still the pick and go game. There's still a need for a type five because I mean, Exeter, you know, you know what the men do around that, t- t- around that t- try line. Well, mm. Rob Baxter is still the DOR technically for the men, uh, for the women's and the men's. And he, he lives that in, in Exeter Chiefs. And they do, they do that very much pick and go around the line, pick and go. And I think if you don't have a, a tight five there that's able to defend and attack, actually, you you, you are going to lose tries in, in your fence and in attack, you're not going to get anywhere. So I think with the variations, um, people, the purists will not like it, but I think actually they have led to a little bit more free flowing, I think in terms of running mileage, um, I think on the line in the first few weeks, I was doing 5.6k, which is uh, which is up a up about a k and a half from what we did last year in the women's, and in the middle I did 7.9k. So and that's a hell of a lot up from the women's last year, which would normally be about 5k. Um, we, we just because the game is is more straight liney or passing. It, it, this year they've had to expand and. If you actually look at the GPS trackers, where there's a hell of a lot more width-wise, and we're going a lot wider this year with the women than probably have done in the past, and that's due to the game's laws that they're having to think of other ways that they can get on and they can press on. Um, so I think that's really important that we could maintain some of them. I think, but I think once the actual COVID situation sort of dies away or the vaccines come in, I think a lot of these law variations will be reversed back to what. Okay. Broadcast technology in sport is is an area that really interests me. In in my opinion, the round ball game has suffered and a lot of people are are very bored with um, all the the technology. But in my opinion, as as a rugby fan, the the technology that's been introduced to refs with throat mics uh, et al., has been brilliant for the game. It's, it's fantastic. I, I now understand what is going on. And the referee in the game that Paul and I watched last week, the, um, 
the Gloucester Harlequins game, uh, women, had a superb game and explained everything that he was doing. Uh, it, it's, it's a revelation for me. And I think that's, I think actually being able to hear the referees, I always say this, uh, if you go to any fixture, if they've got the ability to have you, you can pick up the little ref com, do it. Because actually, if you go to the ground and you start to hear the referees and stuff, um, I wish actually when I watch games that, that the commentators would actually talk a little bit less and you can yes. hear some of the explanations by the referees because they will explain it really well. I think some of our best explainers are Luke Pierce and, and Wayne Barnes but in England is the fact that if you, are, if you listen to how they explain their decisions, they will explain it in law, but also in, a, in an understandable way. I think mm. it is a real, you know, as it's, it's a skill, which as a referee you have to learn is how you explain your decisions. Mm. And people, some people, when they start refereeing, will, will talk and talk and talk. And you're like, oh, you just you don't need to talk as much. It becomes like white noise to the players. They, don't, they, they won't listen to you. Mm. Um, what you've got to be is when we talk, we've got to, talk has got to cause an action to happen when you talk about as referees. So if we're asking a player to roll, well, that player's got to be in the way for us to ask her to roll. If she's not actually in the way, then we don't need to talk to her. Otherwise, that we'll come to the next rock, tell them to roll, and they'll be like, well, I told me to roll, but you know, the last rock, I was out of the way. And then suddenly you're penalising a lot. So, And also, then that leads on in terms of when you're penalising, we, we have to explain that decision. But we've got to explain that decision in a way that is understandable to the wider audience and to, to the audience immediately there on the pitch. If the players don't understand why we're penalising them, we're going to end up down the road of having multiple penalties and then multiple players off the field. Mm. So uh, in the back of your armoury as a referee, we've got to always have that communication. I think that's one thing we're very good at in rugby compared to football um, is that the communication we have with players is a two-way street when it needs to be, but also a one-way street when, it, when, it, when we need to get that point across. Um, mm. And we've got to, as referees, embrace that as well. We've got to embrace the players when they come to talk to us about something. Let's be aware that, you know, especially with the Allianz, um, you know, some of these players have got 50, 60 caps for England. If they're coming over to tell you something, they've probably got a reason for doing it. If they didn't have a reason for doing it, they, you know, they probably, they wouldn't be where they are. They wouldn't have as many caps as they've got because they mm. they just upset referees and they would never have got to where they should be so actually as a referee if they come across and ask us a, a specific question about uh, you know an incident we've got to give an answer they might not agree with it but at least you've got you've given them an answer and they will adapt their play to it so as a referee as long as we approach with a consistent approach and we explain our answers then players will really work with us and i think that's where we've been very good in rugby um, compared to potentially the, the issues they've got in football uh, and around VAR is the fact that there isn't that kind of communication to the players and no real explanation. If you look at what on a football pitch, there's no real explanation for it, for why something was given. And I think I've only seen it once in uh, actually in Australia in their football league that they actually did mic up a referee and they showed how referees communicate in football. And I think it was an absolute eye-opener for a lot of people in the football world to go, oh, actually, the referees do talk to the players. Maybe the players just don't want to listen. But I think it, it were, it, it's how you approach the players as well. And I think sometimes we see referees yelling at players in football. 
Whereas in rugby, we're a lot more calm and how we speak to them is how they, we, we want to be spoken to as well. If we start yelling at players, then they're not going to react to us. So we have to speak to them how they want to speak to us. I would say that um, rugby can, without sounding patronising, can learn from football because, in my opinion, technology has has spoiled football. So uh, unless they go back to making it more human, it's dehumanised it. And if my if my nose is offside, uh, then that's just silly for me. You need to go back to human judgment via a linesman. I think, my opinion. I think, I think the problem they've, and I think this is something we've got in rugby is, is materiality and context is that, you know, when you look at decisions, so in rugby, we also have black and white things. So the touchline is black and white. Now we could, you could also say that exactly the same thing as, as an offside line for VAR is the touchline for rugby, because technically you could have a, a millimeter of your boot on the line. If the TMO picks it up and they've got a very good picture of it's got a millimetre on the line, then you're out of play. Hmm. And I think that's the thing which football have tried to bring in too much, but they don't have – probably technology hasn't caught up to the point that actually um, that they, they need it to be for when they've implemented a lot of this stuff. But I think in rugby with the TMO process that we've, we've kind of refined it. And if you think about how long it's taken us to refine – TMOing to the stage we've got it today um you know it's taken us plenty of years to get that way you know, at least 10 years to get it to to the point we've got now and then we even still you know get get times when players will turn when we sit you know people on twitter and stuff like that will still say oh they've got the wrong decision um key example this weekend in the new zealand argentina game with the player that got taken out on the floor you know the referee's given a yellow card everybody on social media screaming for a red card um, we've still got a way to go, um, but I think we've we've developed it a lot more. And I think actually the gold standard for for television match officials are is actually cricket, and nobody really thinks about it. But if you watch the like over the summer with the tests over the summer, how they explain their decisions in cricket with the foot on the, the foot over the line, not over the line, it's where the ball's pitching and stuff like that. They mm. are so clear of how of every single stage that actually when they come to the outcome nobody is surprised with the outcome and i think if you watch the best referees in the world and the best tmos in the world and they tend to be t- tmos and referees that work together a lot i think you look at the premiership appointments rugby you see a lot of the referees with the same tmos and there's a reason for that that spreaders deliberately appoints them that way due to the fact that they go look you've worked with him so you get get your communication together, get your brief together. So when we come up to a big screen moment, when we're talking, we're going to be talking in facts. We're going to be it's going to be an expected decision, and then by the time it actually comes to the to the outcome, it's an expected outcome. So and I think our main things at the moment is the foul play issue around the high tackle. You know, I think very very well has been described as. You know, the best times we've ever had red cards and stuff like that in rugby is when they've clearly described we have a shoulder which has hit the head. Okay, the direct impact to the head. Okay, well, then we go, so we go down the flow chain of, okay, well, do we have any mitigating circumstances? And they go through and go, well, you know, when we've got yellow cards, we've got, yes, there's been a sudden drop in height. Okay, so we've got a fact that we've got a, a, a contact to the head. 
direct contact to the head. However, there's been a sudden drop in height, so therefore we have got a yellow card. And I think this is right. similar with red card. If we haven't got anything like that, then we've got no, we have no mitigating factors. So therefore we've got the facts and therefore we've got a sanction. And I think it's worked really well with the, with the new high, high tackle framework that there isn't really an out for referees that we used to probably have or it was up to the referee's discretion as to whether it was a red card or a yellow card. Or Now we've got this framework. Actually, it's probably in, re- in high tackles it's cleared the game up around that. And I think that's what we've done really well with the Lords Committee is that they've cleaned that area up and now they've got to probably look at some other areas. So, you know, as per this year, the ruck and stuff like that. Mm. So I think as time moves on, we'll start to clear things up. And I think with the TMOing, you know, they're starting to use a lot more referees in the box now, as you've noticed over the Autumn Internationals. Mm. Um, so we need to be really aware of, like how you know and how they work together is is different again i think you know world rugby probably got to a point that they think it's sort of working now and we probably have got it working now but we can still tweak it and we can still make it better and mm. do we need to open up the scope for uh tmos you know that they can come in on some other things because people forget that that tmos have a protocol list and actually they can only come in on certain things inside or that are actually inside their protocols you know, the, the, everyone says, oh, that was a massive forward pass. Why didn't the TMO put that in? Well, it's not inside the TMO protocol to put it in because the angle on the camera might not be the greatest. It might look forward, but actually if they had a flat camera, then it wouldn't work. So I think there's other things, though, inside the TMO protocol that they have tweaked over the years, which, you know, just like knock-ons where you hear them now ask, is it a knock-on? Or the TMO will come in and say, that's a knock-on, and they go back for it because they've managed to tweak it because they've had incidents in the past where there's been a knock-on in midfield. Nobody from the on-field team seen it, but the TMO couldn't put it in because it was outside of protocol. So I think we've developed it, but we've still got some way to go. Paul and I have spoken with women in Iran and Germany and the Czech Republic and, and the Netherlands. Are, are you talking to referees in those countries in an ongoing way? Uh, yeah, we try to. I mean, there's plenty of referee groups on on, on Facebook. Um, so rugbyrefereeing.net is run by a guy called Keith Lewis, um, who's a TMO in the Premiership. But there's a massive community on there. So um, I've been lucky enough that I've refereed in over in Wales. I know a few of the Welsh guys. I've refereed in Scotland. I know a couple of Scottish guys. Um, been out to Ibiza, been to Australia. So I know a couple of guys out there. And uh, there's a few people in, I went out to India a few years ago to go and referee a tournament out there. So I've got a few a few people out there that occasionally come in and go, oh, I've got a question about, you know, the game. Because we have got a global game that is watched all over the world. And we do talk to each other. And I think it's really good that we have these connections around the world. Um, mm. I think, Excellent. you know, some of the tournaments, like we have... Um, Dubai sevens and things like that, where they actually bring referees from all over the world to go and referee in that tournament as well. Mm. In the outside tournament, that's not necessarily seen on TV, but they've got loads of other sport going on outside of that. So they bring all the referees in from the world. And it's a great point to just, everybody can come in together and have that discussion. Um, Roslyn Park sevens in the, in the UK. Um, there's loads of these little tournaments that, Actually, when you realise there's lots of people from all over come and referee, come and referee those tournaments, and you get some great links into other areas. Um, mm. Personally, for me, uh, Bournemouth Sevens, um, 
I knew a guy down who who was involved with London Society, and they offered me a, a, an invite to referee down there. And ever since, I've then had invites to other things. And it's just those connections can really help you. Mm, definitely. So, so where are you off to this weekend? So this weekend, I'm due to go to Sandy Park. I'm supposed to be in the middle for Exeter versus Saracens. Um, mm-hmm. This should be a really good game, uh, especially with the club's histories. Um, so fingers crossed that we've got two full contingents uh, of players and everything works with the COVID protocols and everything like that because um, we still have to follow those. And we've got fingers crossed that, you know, Devon's in tier two, that we may be having up to 2,000 fans in the stadium, which will be really nice to have yeah. um, because I think you notice it. and It's weird, you know, we, we watch on telly and we put this, you know, the stadium, stadium sounds on and stuff like that. And when you're actually there and you go, oh, there's no fans there. And I did a game a few weeks ago down there and in the middle and, Actually, there's points where a referee, you feed off the crowd or just feed off a bit of noise from somebody. And mm. not to have it is a bit is a bit is a, is quite strange still. So it'd be really nice to have some fans in this weekend and just be, you know, go out there and referee, get the whistle back in my hand again and you know, hopefully fingers crossed, it'll be I think this will be my last game before Christmas because I'm uh, due uh, my daughter's birth's due in the next few weeks. So I'm ah, stood down. Nice. So <laughs> Fingers crossed that she doesn't come before Saturday. <laughs> excellent. That was really good. Adam, really excellent. Adam, Thank excuse you. Me, sorry. When's, when's the due date? Sixteenth uh, of December. Oh wow! That's so it's uh, it's close, but I say that this yeah. weekend was like they they said to me, "Oh, when is she due?" And said, oh well, sixteenth. And like, would you be all right for the fifth to referee? And I went, "Well, yeah, it should be fine for the fifth to referee." Yeah, you'd be all right. <laughs> yes. you'd be all right. <laughs> and well, best of luck. Best of luck to if, you both. If, best of luck to you all. If we see you running off the pitch. In a in yeah. a hurry, we know why. Yeah, <laughs> you see the fourth fisher with a phone. That's then, you know? right. Yeah, go, get off, get off, <laughs> get off, get off. Baby sign. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fantastic. Well, good luck. Good luck. Brilliant. Thank you very Take much, care. guys. Cheers. All Cheers, the best. Thanks Cheers. so much. Bye. Bye. All the best. See you. And thank you so much for watching and listening. We'll catch you next time.